Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. The Philadelphia Inquirer published a series of articles by reporters Donald L. Bartlett and James B. Steele in 1991 that documented how actions by Washington and Wall Street were systematically dismantling America's middle class through policies like shifting tax burdens, changing financial laws, and deregulations. The articles were expanded into a best-selling book that was published the next year under the title America, What Went Wrong? And the new... uh, I'm going to get there. Uh, New York University School of Journalism named that book one of the 100 top works of American journalism in the 20th century. But the problems of three decades ago seem to be growing even worse nowadays. While millions of Americans fear for their lives and livelihoods, millionaires and billionaires are enjoying rapidly growing wealth and gaining greater access to political power. So, Two-time Pulitzer Prize winners James Steele and Donald Bartlett have re-examined the problems that we're facing in an updated version of their book. This one called America, What Went Wrong? The Crisis Deepens. It's published by Mission Point Press and brings James Steele to our show now. Welcome. Great to be with you, Leonard. Before the COVID-19 pandemic, two of the leading news stories in the U.S. were Black Lives Matter and and economy that was apparently booming. Do those two subjects reflect a conflict in America, great economic gains for some and growing struggle for others? They do, in fact, uh, present that conflict. And, but, but even in the, uh, the notion that the economy was doing so well, uh, there's some great gaps in that theory, which we discuss in some detail in the new book. Uh, even though the unemployment rate was before COVID, uh, listed at 3.5%, uh, what people were earning was substantially less than they needed to meet their basic needs. And in fact, we, we charted that from the time of the original book back in the early 90s. Now, if median family income had kept pace, when we talked about things being in dire situation then, if median family income had kept pace from then, uh, families would have been earning around $68,000, $69,000 a year. In fact, they're earning about 61000 So right away, people are falling behind. And also in that 3.5% unemployment, which is what it was before the virus struck us, uh, missing from that is the fact that an awful lot of people are working two jobs just to make ends meet. So the idea that the economy was booming, we we make the point that there are really kind of two economies in this world. There's that Washington economy and that Wall Street economy where everybody talks about the stock market and how unemployment rate is low. Uh, But then there's this other economy, and these are the people who are on the ground floor, the ones who are working, uh, the ones who are trying to take care of their families, the ones who are trying to meet basic needs. And for those people, it was not a booming economy. It was good to have a job, which is certainly better than a lot of people have it now with the virus, but it did not spell a great economic boom for them. And that's kind of one of the heart, that's the heart of the book, that we have this tremendous division in the country. And I even think both the virus and lives have exposed that. Even though the president right. often bragged about how well the economy is doing, you're saying that Washington and Wall Street's uh, policies produce net stagnant earnings, unaffordable health care, and the prospect of impoverished retirement. Uh, exactly. Now, 
Now, now the number of laid off Americans seeking unemployment benefits rose last week for the first time since the pandemic struck in March, uh, which uh, has been seen as evidence of a deepening economic pain that the outbreak is causing the economy. And uh, the the benefits from the CARES Act are about to end unless Congress moves to extend them. How will that affect average and low income Americans? It's going to impact them uh, very deeply and very harshly. And, uh, you know, they were just getting by before all of this struck. I mean, uh, the image I will never get out of my mind based on what's happened in this country in the last few months was that after the virus struck, and after companies began laying off people, uh, if you turned on television from time to time, you would see these long lines of cars and trucks pulling up to various stands to receive boxes of food. And you looked at the people getting out of their vehicles. These weren't people rounded up under viaducts who were homeless and the most destitute in our society. These are people who the week before that had had jobs. But one week later, because they had no safety net, because they didn't earn enough to put any money aside, uh, we're, we're really destitute as well after a week. So, I mean, that went to the heart of why most Americans, really half the country at least, is just barely getting by. And that's kind of the point of the book. I mean, even after the virus passes, which eventually it will, we're still going to have this structural problem where we're not taking care. When I say taking care, I mean, we're not providing the programs. We're not providing the benefits uh, we're not providing the kinds of jobs that make make it possible for most people to support their families. That will still be there once the virus passes. The middle class continues to shrink, and the income gap between those at the top and everyone else is at record levels. But don't many economists and politicians argue that even if inequality is severe, poor and middle class Americans are still better off than their counterparts in other countries? A lot of middle-class Americans certainly are better off than their counterparts in certainly developing countries. Uh, not always better off than many of their counterparts in some of the other developed countries of Europe, for example, and in Japan. But you know that, and I've heard that argument. And what I I don't think that is really what goes to the heart of what America is about. America for many years was the idea that we provide the groundwork, we provide the basic uh, platform that makes it possible for people to succeed. And that platform has been turned on its head to benefit really just the people at the top over the last 40 years. You're talking about the way this uh, this uh, flow to the top has occurred. When we did the original uh, What Went Wrong back in the 90s, uh, we contrasted the top 4% of the country in terms of income with everybody else. And showing it how from in the 50s it had changed radically. Back in the 50s, the top 4% earned as much money, and this is just earnings in, in, in salaries and wages, as the bottom 35%. I mean, there are always going to be rich people. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with people being at the top. But that was the balance for the top 35. When we did the original What Went Wrong, uh, the top 4% was earning as much as the bottom 51%. Now, when we've done the latest book, it's now the top 4% is earning as much as the bottom 57%. And that's before the full impact of that outrageous 2017 Trump tax bill takes effect. So it's it's going to be even worse than that once those numbers come out. In a June 14th essay in the Philadelphia Inquirer, you referred to, quote, 
40 years of deliberate national policies that favor the few at the expense of the many. So are you arguing that political and economic decision makers have wanted the wealthy to profit at the expense of most Americans under both Democrats and Republicans over those years? When you know, tax, tax policy has been heavily driven, certainly by the Republicans, and those policies in our book have created the greatest amount of income inequality. And with the exception of a few uh, things here and there, certainly under Obama, with some of the taxes placed on um, uh, the top for Medicare earnings uh, and also the adoption of Obamacare, and even under Bill Clinton back in the 90s, uh, the adoption of some tax increases. And with those, like exceptions, there's just been this steady march to put more and more money into the hands of those at the top. Uh, sometimes they get by with it, as they did in 2017, by giving everybody at the bottom uh, a few pennies. And the figure I just can't believe, when, and Don and I, by the way, always run our own numbers. We, we, we do all that. We don't really take numbers from somebody else. When you look at the numbers out of a 2017 tax bill, if you're making a million or more a year, you are going to get in excess of $64,000 a year for 10 years, a tax cut of that amount. If you're making fifty to 75000 what's your tax cut going to be? It's going to be 800 a year. So maybe if you were in that fifty, seventy thousand round and you got well, you got eight hundred dollars more a year, think, oh gee, well, that bill was great. But to a lot of people, they, they're not aware of what happens to everybody at the other end. And at the other end, basically everybody over a million, more than half a trillion dollars is going to be shoveled to people at the top who don't need the money. That's the outrageousness of that particular bill. Bill Clinton waved your book at rallies and said he'd been profoundly influenced by its conclusions. Uh, so did he do anything to implement some of the suggestions that you were making, or was that just simply something that got him elected? He certainly tried on the case of taxes to increase some taxes, and he did get that through. It wasn't a gigantic increase, but on the basis that you try a few things here and there, uh, that was certainly commendable. Uh, he obviously fouled up health care, as we all know, and there are many explanations as to why that happened. But I think that was probably his single greatest failing because we made a big point in what went wrong about the uninsured and what was happening to that for so many millions of Americans. Uh, so, you know, that clearly didn't work. Um, so, but what we need to do in this country, we need to adopt a steady program that sticks with uh, tax increases of a certain point and not reduce them. I mean, the minute Bill Clinton got out of office, uh, major tax increases came in under George H. W. Or George W. Bush's administration, everything from dividends to capital gains to the basic rate. And we and had a war had going on at the time. And we had a war going on. And I think as, as more people than, than us have pointed out, you know, it was the first time I think the United States had ever cut taxes in the midst of war. You just don't do that. When you have a war, you really need more money for various things. Uh, but you definitely do not cut taxes for people at the top, which is what happened. That contributed more to income inequality. Uh, but I do think this Trump tax bill of 2017 is going to be the worst of all of them. Not only what it did for individuals uh, at the top, uh, but what it did for corporations, lowering the corporate rate letting them bring back a lot of their offshore billions without a policeman on the job to make sure it's spent in a proper way that helps the country as a whole. 
So I think that bill is going to go down as one of the worst ever. Is this a trend for the Republican Party? Because Ronald Reagan claimed that government was the problem. Uh, uh, did government simply cease to help the less well-off, or did it actively seek to advance the interests of the, the wealthiest Americans? I think it, it works out to the latter by default. What happens is if you decide government is evil, as, Ra as Reagan did, and you sort of poison the whole concept that government is not really here to help you, then you can't do things as a government. And by default, that means, okay, you may give the rich a tax increase, or I mean, I mean a tax cut, and then they will have that money to spend as they deem necessary to help those below to lift all boats and, you know, that kind of malarkey, which never works out. You know, there's a reason we have a public policy in this country, which is to fund programs, which is to do things on behalf of everybody. And so the notion that government is evil uh, has permeated policy now for really decades. And a lot of otherwise you know, right-thinking Democrats have very often signed on to that as well. But I'll tell you, I, we are absolutely convinced that is now shifting. And if there's anything, any plus that's come out of the virus, uh, it's the notion that you do need some national leadership. You do need a national government that's capable of uh, managing something of this sort. You can't just but, leave it up to the stage, and that, which is what they've done. Well, but right now we're seeing tension between the two sides. It may be going all the way back to 1994 when Newt Gingrich and Dick Armey used part of Ronald Reagan's 1985 State of the Union address in their contract with America. And as you, uh, you mentioned, the trickle-down theory uh, became very popular at that time. Uh, we, we have seen uh, calls for major changes during this election cycle with Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, among others, calling for uh, taxing the, the wealthiest Americans. Um, but they're not the candidates. What's, what is Joe Biden promising if he wins the election? Well, he is promising uh, tax increases for, for those at the top and also a tax increase for uh, corporate America. Uh, he also, excuse me, and, and, you know, that part of that is a reflection of both the Sanders and uh, Warren positions on those issues. Uh, he hasn't gone as far as they would have, but I think uh, he's looking at the country as a whole. And, you know, I live in the East Coast. You live in the East Coast. Uh, this isn't, this does not reflect um, people in, in the heartland and, and never has. I, I actually grew up in the Midwest, so I sort of haven't, I know what a lot of people think out there in various ways. Good people, but much more conservative politically and issues of taxes. So I think he's going slow on that. Uh, I mean, if he even gets through what he's proposed, uh, that will be a plus. But the only way he will do that, of course, is that if he wins the Senate as well. He, the Democrats are obviously going to keep control of the House, but they're going to have to win control of the Senate, or a lot of the programs he would like to implement will not come to pass either. You're listening to Leonard Lopez at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. I'm speaking with James B. Steele, co-author with Donald L. Bartlett of America, What Went Wrong?, the Crisis Deepens, uh, an updated version of their best-selling book from the 1990s. So um, 
That was three decades ago. What are the biggest changes uh, since that time? Haven't you also been addressing some of these issues uh, with reporting on the IRS and on unequal application of federal tax laws? Uh, absolutely. And, 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 and in a book we actually wrote about uh, the IRS a number of years ago, uh, basically the Republicans have slowly and systematically gutted IRS. And, you know, the, the average person sometimes get, gets mad at IRS, but at the risk of sounding soft on IRS here, <laughs> the, the problem rests more with Congress. I mean, they're the ones who write these tax laws. They're the ones who made tax law complicated, not IRS. Uh, they're the ones that decide by virtue of how they fund the agency, uh, who you want to go after or not go after. And IRS uh, systematically over the years really its employment really gutted, and especially when it comes to high-income taxpayers. You know, those are the kinds of audits, uh, those are the kinds of oversight that take a certain amount of labor. And if you don't have the bodies to do that, uh, you can't do it. But I think one of, one of the most outrageous things that uh, Republicans have done over time, in addition to that, is that they've, they've continued to pass bills that reward uh, corporations that, are, that say they will do something with that money, and then they don't do anything with that money. And the best example of that is in 2017, uh, the, the Trump tax bill, in addition to drastically cutting the, the corporate rate from um, from 35 to 21, in addition to that, it gave these offshore big companies like Amazon, Google, it gave them the, the right to bring back into the U.S., uh, hundreds of millions of dollars that accumulated in offshore accounts from their foreign earnings. And the assumption was that that money would be invested in America and therefore it would be good for the economy. And that's, that's, a, that's a good idea if you're going to do that. Now, it only charged them 5%, which is less than the average person pays on their income taxes that they pay. But uh, putting that aside for a minute, the idea was that the money was to be uh, an incentive well, what happened? Well, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York has actually studied this issue, as have some others. And I don't think of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York as a particularly wild-eyed left-wing think tank. Do you? I mean, I certainly don't. Mm -mm. Well, they looked no. at this, and they said, this money has gone into stock buybacks uh, of the existing corporation and basically dividends and executive salaries. So in other words, they got to bring this money back at a 5% tax rate, and they've invested it in themselves, not in the country. Their CEOs, uh, their, their existing stockholders, um, maybe bought another company like their own, but have not really generated new economic activity, which is what the whole concept of bringing that money back was all about. So until we get to the point where if we're going to do something like that, we need to enforce that rather than just saying you can do this and we hope we hope you fulfill that. We hope you we hope you obey by the rules. But if you don't, that's your problem, because uh, we're not going to have a policeman on the on the beat to look after you. So I, to me, that's that's what has continued to happen over time, not only for folks at the top, but for various corporate deals uh, uh, over time. And that's why Congress, in, in, in our mind, is really more to blame for uh, the kind of tax system we have than, than anybody at IRS. But haven't I read that debt has been growing rapidly among corporations? Yes. So, yes. So where you is have. all that money going? 
Well, yeah, are they putting it into production? Well, that, it's almost identical to the problem I just outlined. It's, 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 I'm really happy you brought that up because uh, corporate debt is at an all-time high. Now, this was right before COVID. I'm not exactly sure the number right now, but right before COVID, it was at roughly $10 trillion, all-time high. And uh, the danger of debt like that is that when shut, when uh, slowdowns occur, recessions or recession-like slowdowns, uh, rather than doing something else, corporations invariably start cutting their workforces or figuring out some way to cut their benefits, things of that sort. So people at the bottom who most need the job uh, are, of course, affected the most. So this debt, uh, which is huge and is at record levels, has been fomented in part by the tax code because companies can write off on their uh, taxes the interest they pay on debt that they whatever the interest they pay to borrow that money and that's been one of the long running uh corporate benefits that the average person has no knowledge of it's kind of like if you had an if you have a mortgage on your house and uh in the old days where you could write off um, that interest if you if you were paying enough you know the, the recent tax bill has scaled it back a little bit but that's the same thing for corporations and so this has fueled this whole debt binge. Uh, the Trump tax bill actually did nick it a little bit, uh, but it was not significant. And it was more than offset by the fact that they lowered the overall corporate rate. So that debt is not going into building plants, uh, not going into really revitalizing America. It has gone into, again, stock buybacks uh, and rewarding executives, things of that sort. And, you know, there's a reason why people are so upset by corporations, because they really don't behave the way they once did decades ago. I mean, corporations' business was always to make money. Nobody disputes that. I mean, that's 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 okay. Um, and I was just fascinated by the discussion on capitalism before you came on. I mean, yeah, that's the business of corporations, to make money. Uh, but what is also true, there used to be more of a balance. Uh, back in the 60s, Peter Drucker, who was a kind of a famous business guru uh, at that time and afterward, he computed, he said, the, the ideal ratio between a CEO's salary and the workers on the factory floor or retail operation floor, whatever it was, he said should be about 20 to 1. If, uh, if it got any higher than that, it would erode uh, willpower among the workers. I don't know if that's true or not, but he, he, he believed it 20 to 1. When Don and I did the original edition of What Went Wrong back in the 90s, it was then up to 89 to 1. So it, 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 it like uh, soared from, from what Drucker in the 60s thought was ideal. And Drucker, by the way, is beloved by corporations and, and, and a lot of academic, academics and, and economists. You know where it is today? It's over 300 to 1. So well, Berkeley economists the, Emmanuel Assez and, and Gabriel Zuckman have found that the richest Americans now have the lowest tax burden. Uh, so uh, it's even un more unfair today than it ever was. The wealth of, uh, of Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos has grown by $25 billion since January 1st, over $5 million per hour every hour since January 1st. And other billionaires have become considerably wealthier during this pandemic. So are they insulated 
Have they been insulated from bad times, unlike the rest of us? Yes, that's that's that's. I think that's one of the the rewards of this plutocracy that they have been so successful in erecting the last three to four decades. Uh, they they've created uh, business operations that uh, let them take care of themselves. Uh, do not particularly reward their workforces anyway. I mean, the stories about problems in Amazon warehouses and other parts of the country are legion. Uh, you can pick up almost newspapers or, or see television anywhere in the country and over any period of time, and, and you'll hear these complaints about what goes on. So that money is not even being shared within the corporation, uh, let alone uh, to, the, to the country as a whole. But and Don and I have always taken this position. If somebody wants to pay Jeff Bezos $10 billion a year, okay, okay, let him do that. But you better but tax that money. I mean, tax that money. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest way to deal with that. You know, bring well, that back the, into the system. Despite their profits, don't a number of companies like Amazon, Jeff Bezos' is Amazon, GM, Netflix, Apple, some others, pay remarkably little in tax? They, yes. And, and this is one of these ongoing issues. And part of it is that deduction for interest on corporate debt, that's one of the ones that reduces it. There's there's other uh, freebies called the net operating loss deduction, which is another one that goes way back for decades, but continues to be used very, very extensively. Uh, a lot of the profits turned offshore are never taxed at home unless until this last bill where some of them came back at a low rate, a bargain basement rate. So yeah, and and, I th- one of, and this is this is really also one of the splits in America in the corporate world, or let, let's say in the business world, because you've got these multinationals who don't have to pay many taxes, or you've got all of these ways of shifting things around mm-hmm. and rewarding folks at the very top, and then if you've got the average small business out there, where a guy uh, who runs the thing is struggling right and left to deal with what he needs to do to pay his employees. He doesn't have the option of putting his money in an offshore bank in the Cayman Islands or the Canary Islands or somewhere or Liechtenstein. He is very much yoked to the domestic economy. And I think this is one of the things that's little appreciated. Uh, I've got an awful lot of sympathy for an awful lot of small businessmen who face these kinds of problems because they don't have all of those options that the big boys do. And you're going to find very few little guys with a zero tax rate unless they genuinely are just not making any money. Uh, you so know, they're the ones that usually end up having to pay if, if, uh, if their business is functioning properly, but that's so not true of an Amazon or a Google or whatever. So if those corporations don't pay taxes, does that mean that, Less government spend that we have less government spending, or uh, has the, the uh, tax burden just been transferred to others, to those other smaller companies, and and to us, the the, uh, the private makes, citizens? I, it's it's really the latter. The tax burden is is transferred to those who pay taxes, and it happens in either one of two ways: we either we either pay those taxes to make up for what's lost. Or if there's a deficit, uh, we print more money and the national debt goes up. But see, then that actually affects the average person, too, because somebody does have to pay that interest on that national debt. 
and that falls to the great mass of people who pay income taxes. So you're absolutely right. It's not, you know, they're insulated from those vagaries in the marketplace and from the way they can shift things around and um, and uh, reduce their own tax liability. Donald Trump was demanding that payroll taxes be cut in, in any new legislation to deal with the pandemic and the economic crisis. And you note that payroll taxes form the heaviest tax burden for low and moderate income families. So was Donald Trump actually trying to help average Americans with a cut like that? I, he probably, uh, you almost have to say, yeah, he, he appears to want to help them. And of course, under the Obama what presidency, after the, two, after the 2008, 2009 thing, there was a payroll tax cut there for a while. And uh, the problem with that overall is that it does put less money into the Social Security uh, trust fund, which does have ramifications at some point, and Medicare. So there are consequences to that. Uh, I think the Republicans, rightly or wrongly, took the position. Uh, and if the, and I think we're going to have to wait to see what this whole bill looks like at the end. Let's just send people the checks directly rather than uh, cutting the payroll taxes. Uh, the reason we make that point in the book on the payroll taxes, I think they do need to be revised. They do, they do need to be reformed, but they don't. It shouldn't be done in a moment like this, where we have this particular kind of catastrophe. This is the kind of thing you need to look at over time, and and figure out is there a better way to either lower that or supplement earnings through some other process. Uh, but don't don't do this like the Wild West and just uh, start firing your guns right and left. This is a complicated issue that really needs to be to be thought out, and. Uh, uh, and hopefully, maybe once all this is over, you'll have some you'll have some true tax reform that helps everybody, not just the guys who don't pay any taxes now, like Amazon and Google and so forth. We have to take a little break, but stay with us, okay? This is Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York ninety nine point five FM. Conversation with James B. Steele about um, how America can get back on track to serve the great majority of its people. Um, I have to talk to you for a moment about how 
WBAI can get back on track. Like, like most public radio stations across the country, WBAI has been hit hard by the pandemic and a lot of our longtime supporters have had to drop their support for the station because they just, uh, uh, well, some of them are out of work or have taken cuts in salaries. So that's why we're asking anyone who is able to, at this time of crisis, to please step up and make a contribution of any amount to help keep community radio and London located at large on the air and coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. You can hear the just from those sounds in the background that there are all sorts of problems that we're facing right now uh, technologically because of the pandemic, the problems that perhaps uh, we wouldn't have to deal with if we had more money to spend on uh, some, of, uh, some uh, updated equipment to deal with this problem. But the, the way to, to help us out is by calling right now, 516-620-3602, or by going to our website, give to wbaiorg That's given then the number two, wbaiorg And one great way to support the station without having to shell out a lot of money at any one time is to become a BAI buddy. Uh, they're, they're listeners who contribute $10 or more each month to keep the station running and to show their support for what we do on the show. And uh, that can keep going until you say, uh, you know, I, I want to stop doing it. But it allows us to plan for the future because it gives us cash flow. Joining me now is my executive producer, Jesse Lent. And he uh, is going to tell you about a special offer for anyone who becomes a BAI buddy during today's show. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Leonard. What a great show. Uh, what a great time to be able to tell our listeners that if they become a BAI buddy today, that's the sustaining membership Leonard was talking about, $10 a month taken out of your credit card, your debit card, however you want to do it, uh, and you can stop anytime, as he said. If you sign up to become a BAI buddy in the name of Leonard Lopate at Large today, we would be so happy to send you a copy of the book that Leonard has been discussing today. That's America, What Went Wrong? The Crisis Deepens uh, by our guest, James B. Steele, and his uh co-author Donald L. Bartlett, both of them obviously uh, Pulitzer Prize winners, as Leonard said, a, a legendary investigative journalism team. Wouldn't you like to have this book in your life? Uh, you know, I've been saying all week that th this week the theme is how did we get here? And, th uh, the, you know, we've done a series of shows, Julian Zeltzer talking about Newt Gingrich. Yesterday we had Claire Von Potter talking about the, the divisive media landscape that, that came out of alternative media. Well, today, what a, what a way to wrap it up. I couldn't think of a better way to sum up uh, the, the system that we're living in by looking at economics. One line that stood out to me, Leonard, was, uh, was when Mr. Steele said that him and Donald Bartlett run all their own all their own numbers. They, these are journalists from the old school. They, it's not enough that a study comes out. These guys do their own research and they check everything out themselves because, uh, you know, the, the, as the famous line goes uh, in journalism, you know, if your mother tells you she loves you, check it out. Um, <laughs> but the only way you can get 
this offer is to sign up today by becoming a BAI buddy by going to, to the web at give to WBAI.org or by calling 516-620-3602. And it is tax deductible. I guess that's the only uh, positive thing uh, that I can say about it in terms of this conversation. BAI, unlike other public broadcasters, does not take money from other Sources, we rely 100% on our listeners to support us, which puts us in a bind often, and especially now when money is tight. So uh, if, you, if you can, if you can see a way to support us, please give us that call. Again, the number 516-620-3602 or go to our website, give to WBAI.org. Tell them that you're doing, you're, you're contributing in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. Uh, you don't have to become a BAI buddy. We're very happy if you, uh, for any show of support that you can give us. But if you do become a BAI buddy, remember, we'll be very happy to send you a free copy of James B. Steele and Donald L. Bartlett's America, What Went Wrong? The Crisis Deepens. And uh, Jesse, I want to get back because the crisis is still deepening. I want to get back to my guests. Is there anything else you want to add before I do? Well, just as you've been saying that this is the updated version of their 1991, yeah. uh, uh, you know, bestseller classic, uh, you know, a lot of our, our older listeners might, it might be ringing a bell in the back of their mind, uh, that book. Well, this, this is, is what has happened in the 30 years since. And so as Leonard said, any way you want to contribute, it all helps. WBAI really needs all our listeners to step up right now in any way they can. Uh, but if you become a BAI buddy today in the name of Leonard Lopate at large by making a sustaining contribution, as we've been saying, of $10 or more a month, uh, you'll get a free copy of this book. So in order to do that or to contribute at any level you're able, go uh, on the web to give to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602. And to everyone who's contributed throughout the week and throughout the drive, thank you so much from all of us. And uh, I just wanted to throw in something that one reviewer said, actually Mark Bowden, not exactly just a reviewer. He said, this updated volume not only shows what has happened, it simply and clearly explains why. Let's hope today more are ready to listen. And we are back now to James B. Steele, co-author with Donald L. Bartlett of America, What Went Wrong? The Crisis Deepens, available uh, from uh, the, well, what is the, 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 the uh, publisher here? Uh, Mission Point Press. Mission, Mission Point Michigan. Press. Uh-huh. Yes. Now, uh, getting back to the things we've been discussing, are there critical problems today that weren't even on the radar three decades ago? Was climate change on the radar at the time? Climate, uh, not certainly people, there were people worried about climate change, but it wasn't, uh, it really wasn't talked about the way like it is today for sure. I mean, that's definitely a, a dramatic change. And, and in terms of probably the average American family, uh, in addition to all these other things we've mentioned in stagnant wages, um, health care costs going up. Uh, the other big one, uh, which really wasn't on the radar at all, was the student loan crisis. Um, you know, this has mushroomed uh, just exponentially in the last 
30 years. Um, and there's several reasons for that. Um, one of them is states are not contributing to the cost of public education the way they once did. Uh, the percentage that they supply is just it's 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 it just has not kept pace with with the cost of education. I know you hear arguments that the colleges cost too much and they haven't ridden herd on their own costs and so on and so forth. But but even that putting that aside, the states have just not kept pace at, at the public level. I once did a computation on this and uh, took Bureau of Economic Analysis data and showed how much was going to public education from the states and other sources. If the percentage that states used to contribute to public education had continued at the rate it was, let's say in 1980, uh, roughly five to $600 billion would have been contributed to education during that time. Our student loan debt right now is $1.5 trillion. So you're talking about something that's like a third to close to a half of what that total amount is uh, could easily have been met if the states had just done what they used to do. But having said that, we're now stuck with this situation. I mean, student debt is second only to mortgage debt, and it's one of the most demoralizing aspects of the economy out there because people who are burdened down with this uh, are going to have an extreme difficulty paying it off, which will deprive many of them of buying a house, maybe starting a business, maybe even starting a family. Uh, it's a tremendous economic drag on the whole country uh, that we haven't dealt with. And, that, and that, that's, a, that's a new problem that didn't really exist 30 years ago. The reason I brought up climate change is the Times recently ran an article on growing migration to escape warming, drought, and rising sea levels. So yes. uh, climate change harms the poor a lot more than it does the wealthy. Absolutely, because the poor historically have been uh, forced into physical neighborhoods that the rich have said they don't want to live in. And that's usually because they're subject to floods or some other natural disaster of sorts. Uh, I mean, you look at where floods are anywhere in the world, and they rarely affect wealthy people. I'm not saying they never do, but it's rare. And that's because of where people with money locate their houses or force people without money to live. So, yeah, and as that goes up everywhere, all the seacoast cities and people who live along the water uh, are very, very worried about this. And I think it, it's uh, uh, one of the most interesting uh, position papers in the last few days was the um, the Sanders-Biden, uh, uh, I don't know, I'm going to call it a manifesto, but it was a massive document. I think it was over 100 pages uh, dealing very heavily with climate change and the ways economically uh, we can deal with that in this country, the way we can convert uh, part of our economy to true green energy. Uh, it's an amazing document uh, that represents, uh, you know, those two once opponents have sort of come together to look at this issue that they realize affects everybody and to come up with some really solid uh, proposals on how to deal with that. So it, it's one of the reasons where all the problems we have, at least, you know, some people in at, at that level, certainly Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, were both looking at that. And Joe seems to be coming in, in to, to appreciate that as well. Now, I mean, that's, that's a plus. 
as opposed to the way um, the Trump administration has put its head in the sand and pretended that this isn't a problem. And, it, and, and on one hand, the on the hand taking away the regulation. And, and on, on the other hand, stripping the regulations that are out there. Uh, but so so you're, you're absolutely right. It, I think there's, it, there seems to be something developing on in climate change beyond what I would call those people who've known about it for a long time. I think the realization is spreading to an awful lot of the populace who didn't really fasten on that issue just a few years ago. I think people are realizing what's happening. You know, part of it, like the Chesapeake Bay, which I live close to Philadelphia, that is close to the northern part of the bay, uh, this great old waterway, which all it is is an arm of the Atlantic Ocean. You've got places all along the Chesapeake that never flooded, now regularly flooded. Uh, the city dock in Annapolis, Maryland, a historical city, uh, floods more now than it ever has in history. Other cities along the bay, the same kind of thing. So a lot of people who may not have paid attention in the past, I mean, they're seeing it with their eyes. And that's that's driving this home to people. That One of the unfortunate things I think about public policy, unless something happens to people or if people see it themselves, they have trouble believing it, it goes on. I mean, people don't realize economically half this country can't really take care of themselves they don't make enough money not until they see that directly like that line of cars trying to get food after uh, the virus hit and and people picking up boxes things for their family to eat you know then that i think drove home to people okay maybe this is worse than i realized um and i think the same thing's happening with climate change and uh, it'll be costly and it'll be an investment we'll have to make but it will not only be to save the planet for whoever follows us, uh, but to make a better world to, to live in the, now. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of pluses to that that hopefully we can we can act on, not just talk about. Private equity has become a major economic player. Was that the case thirty years ago? Uh, that's a great question because in the original. Um, America, what went wrong? We had a number of examples yeah. of uh, private equity had taken long-standing companies and basically uh, dismantled them and put their workforces out to pasture um, and made a lot of money in fees and in collecting various other bonuses as part of the process. And uh, it in the 80s, it was a relatively new phenomenon, buyouts, takeovers, resulting in this downsizing, a word you don't really hear much anymore, but downsizing was a, kind of a big word then. Uh, what we didn't realize at the time, uh, that was just kind of a trial run for what was going to happen. Uh, the private equity industry has just exploded in size since then. And they keep doing a lot of the same kind of deals they did back then uh, with very negative results. Um, Payless Shoes used to have... Uh, two or 3,000 stores in the United States. And they were serving kind of a low-end market, but private equity took it over, made a whole bunch of bad decisions. Now it's out of business. But all the folks who ran that in the beginning, they collected their fees, and they ran to the bank to deposit them. So they make out fine. The folks who engineer these deals in the beginning, they always do okay. It's the folks afterward who may work for those companies, or in some cases, even those who invest in them, they're the ones who end up paying the price. Uh, and there, there's a whole series of them that have happened like that in, in recent years. 
and, and the industry is much bigger. And, oh, and, and I'm glad you raised this question because private equity thrives on the tax deduction for where you can write out the interest on corporate debt. And this is one of the things that's driven a lot of the private equity industry. Uh, if you, you borrow the money to wreak this habit on, havoc on a business, you collect your fees. And in the meantime, the money you borrowed, uh, you eventually pay it back when you squeeze certain things out of the company. But in the meantime, the interest that you pay on that is tax deductible, whatever profits you're having. So that's another one of these ways the tax code has worked to the benefit of those at the top, uh, but has been very, very detrimental to average workers and, and average citizens. Well, globalization has become a hot topic. It became a hot topic in the 80s and 90s, originally with concerns about Japan, and now it's China. Uh, so how, uh, how does the competition from China now compare with that from Japan in the Reagan and Bush eras? Because uh, in the case of China, it has a much larger population than the U.S., although so does India. Does, uh, why is China so much a better competitor to the United States? I, one of the, I think one of the reasons is, unlike Japan, uh, a lot of American corporations made all kinds of deals with the, Japan, with the Chinese. Mm -hmm. uh, then in order to build a plant in China, uh, they would then uh, subscribe to certain regulations. Um, my favorite is Boeing. I mean, even putting aside Boeing's uh, difficulties Recent right problems. now with the mag Recent problems, exactly. Uh, Boeing, when it wanted to go into China, the Chinese said, that's fine. But basically, they said, uh, we also kind of want to develop a domestic aircraft the manufacturing industry, even though you, Boeing, that's what you do. And uh, in exchange for putting a plant over here and us buying a lot of your planes, uh, how about giving us your book that shows us how to build manufactured airplanes? <laughs> and Boeing did this. Hmm. And, 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 and China has been building, um, trying to build a 737-like size um, they call those narrow-body jets um, ever, ever since. I don't think it's gone into production yet, but it's one of those things because the, the state does fund a lot of that manufacturing. I mean, one of the things that I think President Trump has done that is good, he's focused on a lot of the state financing of industries in China, and that has been a problem for a long time. But I think he went about it the wrong way. Rather than just this blanket uh, condemnation and putting on some tariffs, which have hurt other industries in this country, to me the smart thing would have been to have um, linked arms with the Europeans, because the Europeans are facing very similar problems with Chinese competition and, and state-funded enterprises, and approach this on a broader scale. I mean, right now, we're just, you know, he looks like the Lone Ranger, and the Europeans don't want to help him because they haven't been asked to do that. And what he's done with China, to my knowledge, nothing has really happened. Uh, there's been no significant change in any of those policies. Uh, the Chinese have said, yeah, we'll, we'll buy up a few more agricultural products, but they haven't been able to do it, uh, partly because of the recession everywhere. But I think more important than that, it shows, I think, a kind of naivety on his part that the U.S. could just blunder their way in there and say, okay, you're going to change your ways. We uh, only have about one. Just to, 
We only have about one minute left, and I wanted to ask you one other question that I think is important. Sure. Since the influence of major corporations and the wealthy has grown in Washington as inequality has increased across the country, is there much of an incentive for politicians to change things when they're so dependent on the wealthy? Well, you know, this is a good question. And in fact, as you probably know, the whole Citizens United movement to overturn uh, the unlimited money into corporate mm-hmm. coffers is, is one of the great movements that's out there right now that may go on for a long time. But uh, in, the, in the, the congressional elections of a couple of years ago, an awful lot of people were elected who appeared to not be totally beholden to those uh, deep-pocketed interests. So there's probably some hope on that scale. Uh, but I think the most significant thing is the, we, the voters, we, the people have got to keep everybody's feet to the fire because uh, elections are expensive. Running for office is expensive, but let people know where you are. Let you know, get your, get your policy out there. I mean, look at both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren in terms of the policies they had, they've had over time. Bernie's been in office a long time. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, not as long, but they've been, dependent on another source for the most part for the money that's funded, you know, their campaigns. So I these mean, things are possible. And, and we, we got to leave it there. To... Yeah, okay. I'm so sorry. We just run out of time. Uh, I've been speaking with James B. Steele, who is co-author with Donald L. Bartlett of America. What went wrong? It was a number one bestseller when it was released in 1992. Now it has a subtitle, the crisis deepens. Uh, It's about what's happening today, and it is published by Mission Point Press. It's been a great pleasure. It's been terrific to be on your show. Great questions as usual. Uh, That brings us to the end of today's show. Special thanks to segment producer Hugh Sansom, who prepared today's interview, and to our executive producer Jesse Lent and live engineer Reggie Johnson for all of their contributions throughout the week. If you're new to our program and you like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're available as an iTunes podcast. And don't forget to check out Let It Locate at Large on Facebook and Twitter. Also, our website, LetItLocateAtLarge.com, where you can find links to all of our past shows. And you can reach me directly at my email address, LetItLocateAtWBAI.org, if you want to send me a comment about a past show or just say hello. Before I sign out today, I just want to take one last moment to ask you for your support for this station. Uh, Please call us now, uh, 516-620-3602. To show your support, go to give2wbai.org and please make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. From all of us at the station, thank you so much. We are off today uh, to, on Monday and Tuesday, but join us on Wednesday when our guest, Dr. Jerry Goldhaber, will discuss the connection between corporate greed, racism, and COVID-19. Have a great weekend.